0: good morning ladies it's so great to be here with you all today and yeah I love Katie so much she's one of my heroes too and it's just awesome to get to be with um, her group and the rest of the ACR and very excited to be here Um, like Katie said my name is Chelsea I've been a disciple for in January it'll be 13 years I got baptized when I was 16 my husband and I have been serving The campus ministry is in the New York City Church for the past seven years, and we live in New Jersey. We primarily work with the New Jersey campus ministry, and we have two little boys. My son, Bradley, is almost two and a half. He's so cute. I wish I could show a picture because you'd be blown away. He's the cutest thing, and my other son, Tyler, is a little over one, so um, I love them so much. They are my heart's. But um, yeah, it's so great to be here. And this morning, we're actually going to be talking about love. The title of this lesson is, Now is the Time to Love. And when I think about this idea of love, young women everywhere are searching for love, but have no idea how to give love or how to get love. And I want to share a few statistics about dating in college. Studies show that three out of five college students are hoping to find their future spouse in college. I know I was definitely one of them. Did not happen. But that just shows that, you know, college students are looking for love, literally. By the end of their senior year, an astounding 72% of college students have experienced a one-night stand. One out of every four college students has an STD. A third of college students confess that they have been fewer on two real dates in their four college years. That just shows that we don't know how to do intimacy. One of the top reasons that college students break up is cheating. (coughs) Shows that we don't know how to be committed. Most college students break up around spring break, summer vacation, and right before winter break. Shows how selfish relationships are in the world. College students prefer short-term casual relationships over long-term relationships because it allows them to focus on their academic and career goals. So there's an extreme self-focus in relationships today. Mm -hmm. I think it's safe to say, hearing these things, that young women today are having a hard time figuring out what love is. And us in this room are no different. Each of us has our own unique story of us searching for love. I know I can relate. I grew up as a kingdom kid, my parents are in the ministry in New York, and growing up I thought I knew God, but really I had no idea who God was. And I didn't really understand God's love, I knew God loved me, you know, but I didn't understand his love in a way that changed me. And when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with severe depression and anxiety. I remember feeling extremely insecure really not liking myself, and frequently giving in to self-harm. I felt worthless and hopeless. I didn't want to live anymore and I had, to be, I had to be hospitalized three times for threatening to end my life. I remember thinking, this isn't supposed to be happening to me. I'm the preacher's kid. But my depression and anxiety got worse and worse. I was put on a lot of medication, was in and out of outpatient programs, And nothing was helping me. I continued to get worse, to get more into sin, and to feel more insecure and more unlovable. I started to look for love and fulfillment through impurity. I always felt so insecure about my body, and having sex made me feel even more insecure. So then I developed eating issues. I was acting out a lot at church, at school, and at home. I was consumed with myself and immersed myself into anything I thought would fill me. After my boyfriend and I broke up, I felt so embarrassed and stupid, and I realized this path isn't working anymore. So I started trying to clean up my act on my own, you know, and I was 16 at the time. So I like got a job, started doing well in school, like doing all the things I was supposed to do, but I actually felt worse. Because none of the vices I was using to fill my emptiness were there, and I just felt this like painful void all of the time. And I remember being haunted by the thought, is this it? Is this all there is to life? I remember thinking I could either keep going through this cycle, boyfriend after boyfriend, thinking I found love when really it's a lie, or I could turn to God's love. And that's what I did. I decided to study the Bible. And I read my Bible for hours a day. I read it on the bus, on the way to school, at lunch. After I got home from school before bed, like any time I had free, I was reading the Bible. I wanted to know who God was and what God really thought. Not the God I heard about growing up, but who is God really from the Bible? Come on, Chelsea. And let me tell you, when we go to God humbled and surrendered, a supernatural change occurs. Yeah. The Bible really changed me. And when I think about how I learned to redefine love, I think about the Bible. The Bible really taught me God's love. And today I want to look at two women in the Bible who really understood what it meant to be loved by God, to love God, and to love others. Their names are Ruth and Naomi. So turn to the book of Ruth. On, and have you ever felt like nothing is going as expected in life? Yes. yes. That's exactly how things start off in the book of Ruth. This story takes place during dark times in Israel's history. The Bible says about this time that everyone did as they saw fit. So this was a time when few people were righteous. Most were living a sinful lifestyle of immorality, idolatry, debauchery, people doing whatever they wanted. Very much like today, right? Right. And there is also a famine in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, what that means, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. So so for there to be a famine in the house of bread, like things really are not right. (laughs) So Naomi and her husband are living in Bethlehem and there's a famine. So they move to the country of Moab, which is a place that worships foreign gods. And there in Moab, Naomi's husband dies and her two sons die. So she's left with immense grief. And we're going to pick up here. Look with me in Ruth 1, verse 6. It says, When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each one of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have showed kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kisses them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you and your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. we'll stop there. So God blesses the people in Bethlehem with food. So Naomi decides to return to her homeland. And she's trying to convince her widowed daughter, daughters in law to come back, to go home and not come back with her. And when Naomi says here, she says, May the Lord show you kindness. That word show kindness in Hebrew is the word Hesed. And this word Hesed means steadfast love. So she's saying, May God show you steadfast love. And Hesed, it's not based, it's not a love based off feeling. It's a love based off commitment. It's a sacrificial love. Hesed is a one-way love. It means that you're binding yourself to the object of your love, no matter what the response is. It means I'm going to love you no matter how you treat me. Another scripture where we see this word Hased is in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, where God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, or hased. Therefore, I have continued to show my faithfulness to you. So even through all this pain, Naomi was faithful to God. She was saying, I know God is going to show you faithfulness. I know God is going to show goodness to you. And ladies, God is a God of chesed love. God is bound to you by love. God is taken by his love for you. God has loved you with a deeply committed love. He loves you despite what you give back. His love for you is so deep that it drove him to send his son to die for you. God is all in for you. You're his favorite. God is obsessed with you. He can't get enough of you. He'll never stop fighting for you, never give up on you, and never stop believing in you. And this kind of love is hard for us to understand because it's so opposite of what we're taught love is. We're taught that love is a feeling. So therefore, if I don't feel lovable right now, God must not love me. If I don't feel love towards God, I should just quit being a Christian. But has said love is not based off feeling. It's based off commitment. His said love means no matter how I'm feeling, I have decided to love you and do right by you. I think Naomi understood his said love. Naomi was in deep pain here, pain that most of us will never understand. But what does she do? She decides to love. She is determined to love her daughters-in-law, no matter what it costs, even if it intensifies her pain. In telling them to go back, she was risking complete and utter loneliness and despair for herself. But she was willing to go through that for the chance that her daughters-in-law may have a hope and a future. That's true love. Ruth and Orpha loved Naomi back. Naomi was a God-fearing woman. She loved them with God's love. And that draws us in. You know, we can't resist the love of God. And when, when Naomi decided to return to Bethlehem and encouraged her daughters-in-law to go back to their homeland, it said that Orpha and Ruth, the daughters-in-law, that they wept aloud. They loved her so much that they rejected her first offer to go back home. But you know, then Naomi, she brings out the Carfax. She's like, look, back then... Back then, a woman did not even have rights to her husband's own inheritance. So if her husband died, that means that his brother was obligated to marry her so that she could gain inheritance by bearing a son. So for a woman to not be married, there was really no hope for her. And Naomi is saying here, like, You think I'm going to have more sons in my old age? Like, even if I did, by the time they were old enough to marry you, you wouldn't be able to have kids anymore. You'd be so old. She's like, no, there is no hope with me. You need to go back home. And at this point, the women make two very different choices. Read with me in verse 14. It says, at this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpher kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So Orphra leaves and goes back home. But the Bible says that Ruth clung to Naomi. Why? Ruth here, she wasn't just faithfully committing herself to Naomi. She was faithfully committing herself to God. She said, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. If Ruth was going back to Bethlehem to follow Naomi, she would leave and go, out, go back home to Moab once Naomi died. She would go back to her old gods, back to her old way of life. But she's saying, no, I'm going back to Bethlehem to be with God's people. I am going to die with God's people. I am going to die faithful to God. Wow. She was following God which drove her to also follow Naomi. Orpha was searching for earthly love and security. Ruth for eternal love and security. Ruth knew that without God, I have no real hope. If I go back home, I may find a husband, I may have a family, I'll have financial stability, but I'll be returning back to a false God. And then I have nothing. If I go with Naomi, I might have no husband, no family, no friends because she was a foreigner, and back then foreigners were ostracized, no community, no money, but I'll have God. And then I have everything. Deciding to go back to Bethlehem with Naomi meant choosing a future in which she had no protector. She was financially destitute. She'll be lonely she will likely face racial prejudice. Why is she willing to face all this? Ruth knew that the only place to find love is through God. Yeah. Orpha was idolizing love. She loved the love she received from Naomi, but the minute there was nothing left for her, she was out. Wow. She moved on to find love from another source. Ruth valued love from God more than love from a person. She was willing to bear with Naomi through pain and suffering so that she could be with God. She says, do not urge me. I love that. She is determined. Her mind is made up to go and be with God. She was determined to live the rest of her life until the day she died, faithful to God in order for ruth to have made a huge faithful decision like this she must have had to really know god how do we learn to have a steadfast faith like this where when hard times come we're determined to be with god no matter what yeah. ladies it comes from time in the word yeah. hold your place there in ruth and turn over with me to psalm one come on, Chelsea. Come on, Chelsea. which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. The more we are in God's word, the more we are growing closer to God. We need to meditate on God's word day and night. The key here is it says whose delight is in the law of the Lord. We want to have the heart where I'm happy just to be with God. That was Ruth's heart. We want to have God's word on our heart day and night, all the time. And when it says here that whatever they do prosper, that doesn't mean that everything works out the way you hope it would. Prosper refers to growing in our relationship with God. You know, the scripture gives the analogy of a tree planted by streams of water. When it's time for the tree to grow, the tree pulls from the water to receive the nourishment it needs to grow. The tree pulls from the water to receive its sustenance, its stability, and its security. And what the scripture is saying is that just how a tree needs to pull from the water to grow and be healthy, we need to pull from God's word to grow and be healthy. Where do you pull from? Do you pull from your feelings? What you think? How you've always handled things growing up? What your parents say, when we pull from things that aren't God's word, we wither. You know, we had a very intense first six months after Bradley was born, my first son. Bradley was hospitalized twice before he was seven months old, which is like very traumatic for a first baby. And I didn't realize how much it affected me until later, because as a mom, you just, like, got to keep going. You don't have time to feel or take care of yourself or anything. And when Bradley was around seven months old, right when things were starting to calm down, we surprisingly got pregnant again. And I had a very second or scary second pregnancy where there were a few times when we thought we were going to lose the baby. And so I started developing like really bad anxiety again. And I had gone for years with my anxiety being pretty better. And ever since I got pregnant with Tyler and still honestly, it's been really challenging with just really bad anxiety. And so my whole pregnancy with Tyler, like any bad feeling I had or any discomfort, I would just spiral into like, um, you know, having trouble breathing, like just really feeling anxious and worried about the baby. And it's so hard today, too, as a mom, like, you can just read so many horror stories online all the time. And I made the mistakes of Googling a lot, a lot of my symptoms, and which made things worse. And I was withering. You know, I was cranky with my husband, impatient with my toddler. I was always on edge. And I was causing everyone around me to wither as well, it felt like. And I had to learn to really not pull from Google. Or even pull from what the doctor said. Because no matter how much they could reassure me, they can't control the baby's life. I had to pull from the Bible to calm me down. One of the scriptures I held to was Psalm 139 where it says, God ordains every day of your life just as it was meant to be. And I thought about how God ordained each of the days of my baby's life just as they were meant to be. And I was talking with another disciple one day. She was kind of discipling me and trying to help me with my thinking. And we were talking about the scripture in Psalm 139. And in another part of the scripture, it says, um, your works are wonderful, talking to God. I know that full well. And she was saying, that's the part you need to get to where not just like you know the scripture and believe it, but you know that full well. And then she was like, she just threw in there. Um, You know, and your hormones are all over the place, too, because I was pregnant, you know, and that doesn't help. And I said, yeah, well, I know that full well. And, you know, but that's what we can be like, where we, like, hold so strongly to our feelings and, like, this is what I feel. This must be true. But we need to pull from the Bible instead of how we feel for our sustenance, our stability, our security. And, you know, if you keep reading in Psalm 1, in verse 4, it says, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff is the outer shell that must be removed to get to the valuable kernels of grain inside. After the plants were cut, they're crushed, and the pieces are thrown into the air. Those pieces are chaff. And so chaff gets blown about by the wind when the good grain falls back to the earth. Ladies, our feelings can be just like chaff. We can get carried away by even the slightest of winds. We can go from being discouraged about something small someone said in fellowship to thinking, I can't be a disciple anymore. Awesome. When the wind comes, are you blown away or are you grounded by the truth? Yeah. When life took a turn for the worst, Orfra went back home, back to what was familiar, back to what she could control, back to what was easy. But Ruth persevered and was faithful to God. Are you an Orphra or a Ruth? When hard times come, where do you go? Do you go to Netflix? To food? Pornography and masturbation? That guy or girl in your class? Social media? Shopping? Do you sleep the day away? Too many of us. Try to make it through the day without the word. Some of us talk about the same struggles over and over again, but never take time to study out that topic in the Bible. We're lazy. We don't feel like doing the work, so we stay stuck and we don't grow. We hold on to our feelings instead of holding to the scriptures. We hold on to anger and bitterness instead of obeying what the Bible says to do with these feelings. We try too hard to handle things our own way instead of pulling from the Bible and holding to God's teachings. We need to run towards God. And this is something I've had to really work on through my walk with God. I shared a little bit earlier about how I really struggled with depression and anxiety as a teenager. And that didn't just go away after I got baptized. There were times as a young Christian when I had to literally pray on my knees the same scripture over and over again to stop myself from cutting. I clung to the scripture Isaiah 54 verse 10 where it says though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will never be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed. When I was single and tempted to compromise, you know, I remember laying laying in bed at night so tempted to give in to impurity. I had to hold to the scripture, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. As a wife, I have to hold to what the scriptures say about how to love in a godly way. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love always protects. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And now I have to fervently pray for the divine wisdom that it takes to do this crazy thing called motherhood. One of the scriptures I hold to is Philippians 419 where it talks about how God will give us everything we need but I have to cling to these scriptures throughout my daily life because without God I know I have no hope especially me I have no hope I know that I have to cling to the word and Ruth knew that too she knew without God I have no hope do you know that do you really believe that despite Ruth's feelings, she made a decision to love God and love Naomi. And let's look back in Ruth at what happens next. Flip back to Ruth. We're going to pick up in chapter 1, verse 19. It says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? don't call me naomi she told them call me mara because the almighty has made my life very bitter i went away full but the lord has brought me back empty why call me naomi the lord has afflicted me the almighty has brought misfortune upon me so naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by ruth the moabite her daughter-in-law arriving in bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning so here naomi and ruth show up back in bethlehem and it says the whole town was stirred because of these women they had been through life capital l life and they show back faithful and obedient to god and what i love about naomi here is her realness she was like ugly honest about where she was at she said call me bitter like do you know what the bible says about bitterness that was, that's bold. Like, she's making herself look bad here. She's being so honest. You know, she could have showed back up and said, oh, you know, my husband died, my sons died, but, you know, praise God. I'm still. So, you know, like, <laughs> glory be to God. Like, no, she was like, the Lord has brought misfortune upon me. You know, she was honest even about her feelings towards God. Yeah. Wow. And what happens here? God does not strike her dead. He doesn't punish her for being honest. And the women don't rebuke her. You know, think about what a lot of us would have said. Sister, you just need to be faithful and remember that. Like, no, like, they just listened and were there for her. Ruth was right there by her side listening to her pain. The Bible is full of scriptures about people honestly pouring out their hearts to God. God wants us to come to him and other disciples being ugly honest about what's going on the bible you know the truth is here some of us can be hypocrites you're so spiritual on social media say "Mm, amen at all the right times in the sermon but you have unrepented sin in your life some of you know what you're feeling but you don't want to do the hard work of dealing with your feelings You don't want to pray about it or go there because it's just too hard. Some of you are clinging to the wrong people. You're not getting help from the woman who will tell you the truth and help you. You want the relief from confessing without the accountability of changing. Part of clinging to God means that you need to be honest about where you're at. You have to go there with what you're really feeling and thinking, with God and with sisters who can help you. And you know, I love what happens next. Look in Ruth 2, in verse 1 it says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, that was uh, Naomi's husband, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain before anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, (laughs) who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the fields where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and wherever you are thirsty, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars I have filled. At this, she bowed with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly re- rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, in whose wings you have come to take refuge. So we can learn a lot about Ruth's character here. On. For one, She's tenacious. She immediately got out there to work in the fields. Naomi's depressed. Naomi stays home, but Ruth ventures out. She took initiative. She doesn't know exactly which fields she's going to. She just knows I'm going, I'm going out. She's courageous. In these days, women did not venture out alone because it left them vulnerable. This decision must have taken extreme courage for her to go out by herself. She's a hard worker. It says that she was gleaning all day. Some scholars think it was 16 hours. She was a hard worker. She's humble. This process of gleaning was basically a social security system. It was a way for poor people to kind of go and pick up um, spare food. So this would have taken a lot of humility. This was like a degrading, low, menial task. This was a sacrifice. Ruth was willing to go out and do a lot for Naomi, really, to provide for Naomi. Ruth was motivated by her love for God and for Naomi. What motivates you to sacrifice? In Romans 12 verse one, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. God has had immense mercy on us. When we understand how much God loves us and how much we've been saved from, our response should be to live for him instead of ourselves. And you know, in order to live as a sacrifice, we must die first. That's what a sacrifice was. It was an object to die. Dying to ourselves means to empty out our sinful nature so that there is room to be filled with Christ. Yeah. And this concept of dying to ourselves is really hard for our for our generation, especially, to understand because yeah. it's so countercultural well, it's to how the rest of the world lives. Yeah. Most women our age value comfort, what people think, and pleasing themselves more than they value what God thinks. We can't let this culture creep into our discipleship. I think some of us here want the benefits of a relationship with God, but we're not willing to sacrifice for it. You come to all the services and all the campus events, have great friendships in the kingdom, but you don't want to take the time that it takes to help someone else into the kingdom that someone sacrificed for you. You want the godly husband one day, but you're not willing to make sacrifices and deny yourself when it comes to saying no to impurity. You've become entitled. You know, I want you to hear this. God doesn't owe you anything. Our dreams cannot become our demands. You know, I was baptized when I was 16, and one of the things really on my heart was to be married one day. And I was single for six years before I even met my husband. And, you know, six years when you're 16 feels like 600 years. (laughs) And, like, I'm talking, could barely even get an encouragement date single. Like, really single. No one even batted an eye at me single. You know, but I really fought to stay surrendered to God during this time. And before I married, the whole time I was dating my husband, even up until the night before our wedding, I prayed to God, God, if this is not from you, if this is not your will, please stop this wedding. Yeah. And I was serious because I wanted God's will more than I wanted my will. I believe that God can pick better for me than I could pick for myself. Yeah. We need to want God's will more than we want our will. Yeah. Come on. Some of us here are just self-indulgent. Yeah. Everything is about you and how you feel and what you want. You create boundaries based off your willingness or your comfort zone instead of serving unconditionally the way that Jesus would. You work more than you need to to live more extravagantly than you need to instead of being content with less and devoting more time to helping women become Christians. You cause drama in the fellowship because you're overly sensitive. Instead of, being, instead of persevering in relationships with an unconditional love like Jesus. You want your sisters to be there and listen to you and help you, but you're not willing to be that for other people. You don't consistently share your faith. You're not in a Bible study. You're not helping another sister grow. Not engaging new people in the fellowship. It's just flat Selfish. And, you know, I want to read a quote about Ruth. It says, a young woman has committed herself to the life of an old woman rather than the search for a husband. One female has chosen another female in a world where life depends on men. There is no more radical decision in all the memories of Israel. How powerful is that? You know, we need our Naomi's. We need older women who are going to walk us through life. You know, one of my Naomi's was my campus minister. I still keep up with her a lot. And we're at the point now in our relationship when I can call her and say, my grandpa's dying. And she, like, knows what he means to me and knows how to walk me through that. You know, we need women like that who are going to help us figure out these unknown stages of life and who have been there before us. And we need our Ruth. And we need to be Ruth to other people. One of my roots is my, one of my best friends, Tiffany Rodeo, and she was there in the hospital with me each time my son was hospitalized. We need those friendships where we're going to hang in there with people. And we need women who are, we are helping bring into this love yeah. because women in the world need to be a part of this. Yeah. You know, when I first got into the ministry, one of the two women I studied the Bible with, they were sisters. Their names are Hannah and Leah. And they've just become my best friends. And I think that's so amazing when God tells us to deny ourselves and serve someone else. We get so much in return. Like these women that I sacrificed for have like done so much for me. They're some of my best babysitters. We were each other's bridesmaids. We all with our husbands, we do this is us nights like every other week, like, but it's just so amazing. Like God, I feel like that wasn't even denying myself. Like you just like gave me best friends, you know? (laughs) But we need these women. I want to encourage you to find your three women. Find your Naomi, your older women you're going to go after. Find your Ruth, your peer friendship. And find a woman you're going to bring into this fellowship and this love. I want to share about some of the women in our New Jersey campus ministry who live their life as a living sacrifice. You know, one of the women in our ministry, her name is Marie, and we were walking around on campus during kickoff week, and... We were just talking and I was asking her where she's living. And she was like, I actually don't have a place to live right now. My loan didn't go through. And so I've been sleeping on the couches of some of the sisters' apartments. And she was saying it all so casually. I was like, uh, like, do you not know you don't have a place to live? So Marie, though, is one of the most giving people. Like, I think I, in that situation, be like, "No, I don't have a place to live. Like, so anxious, can't do anything. Marie shared with 700 people that kickoff week. Like, amazingly giving. My husband and I were joking, Marie got no place to lay her head. She's just like Jesus. But she's so giving. You know, one of the other sisters, Aman, in our campus ministry, she's from a Muslim background. And the day she got baptized, her parents said, don't come home. Wow. But Ma- Aman is one of the most encouraging women in the campus ministry. She is in 11 Bible studies right now. Like as a student, six of them she met. Wow. Another woman, Shakira, also faced a lot of Um, intense persecution, and then went through really bad depression because of it. She's one of the most giving women in our ministry. She's constantly, like, if someone's sick, giving them cards, giving them food, just, like, always looking for ways to give. These women live their lives as a living sacrifice, and it inspires me. And I can only imagine how loved God feels by them. And, you know, I love in this story when Ruth decided to go out in the fields, it says, As it turns out, she ended up in the fields with Boaz, you know, like we know it was God orchestrating that. And I love that when we obey God, he's orchestrating our steps. And, you know, I think what I love about too, that what really stood out to Boaz about Ruth is her character. Like he noticed that she took refuge with God and her sacrificial love for Naomi. And she didn't compromise to get her man. She was a woman of integrity and that stood out to him. And I love that Ruth's life, it follows the same pattern as that of Jesus's life where Jesus died for us and was resurrected with God and Ruth died to herself and God resurrected her story. And we're going to close out here reading in Ruth four, the end of the story in verse 13. It says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife when he went to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You know, Ruth was the lowest of the low. In a ranking of like status, social statuses, there would be 15 ranks above her because she was a foreign woman. But God chose her to bring about Jesus into the world, the highest ranking person of all time. Ruth, who entered Bethlehem empty, was now filled. And Jesus, who came from Ruth's lineage, came into the world to eternally fill our empty hearts. When we choose God, we don't come back empty. We come back filled. Jesus came to bring us life to the full. God's love is so much better than the fake love offered in the world. You know, through all of Ruth's pain, her obedience, her sacrificing... God was paving the way for her to meet Boaz, for them to have Obed, and for Jesus to eventually come from her lineage. Imagine what God wants to use you for. I want you to think about this. What would have happened if Ruth had decided not to love? Imagine if Ruth returned back with Orfra. She probably would have had a husband and children, but she would have missed out on God's incredible plan. Imagine if she stayed home with Naomi instead of going out in the fields. You know, maybe Boaz would have met another woman. Or maybe she would have ended up with another man who was fine, but not the strong godly character of Boaz, amen? Imagine if Ruth decided not to love. Ladies, let's die to ourselves and let God resurrect our story. When you commit yourself to loving God, you are letting God pave the way for you for an incredible journey. And when you decide to love the woman he has put in your life, you are literally changing the lives of women around you and future generations of men and women. We can literally change the world through helping women know Jesus. Ladies, now is the time to love. Let's love like Ruth. Amen. Amen. You got it. you You're fine.